Hey everybody, this is Jack Blades from Night Ranger, Damn Yankees, and Shaw Blades. You're listening to your morning coffee podcast with my friends Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Mark Mulligan via Music Industry Blog, how to make artist-centric artist-centric. And from Music Business Worldwide, Multiple criminal gang members confirm they've used Spotify for money laundering in bombshell new report. For Music Ally, a guest post by Ben Patterson, president, artists and label services of downtown music. Independent artists deserve an equitable music ecosystem. Mm. Well, it is fun conversation we're going to have today, Jay, because a lot of these things are bubbling up and we are ready to start the show right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. And now from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Brother Jay, what is going on on a little warm day here in Southern Ooh, California? It is warm. Start to record. Yeah, it is very warm. It's kind of like you didn't grow up in Southern California. I did, but not, I did. No. But, but I can tell you, when you're in school, when you're a kid in SoCal, it always is like this. The first few, the first month of school is all of a sudden you get a heat spell, and so this is very, to me, evocative of being in school because yeah. I remember these these warm days in the fall. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So so, hey, how about, you know, we we did we just released our three-year anniversary episode. That was really fun to oh do. Oh, my gosh. It? That was so much fun. Yes. And for, for those who haven't heard it yet, we dropped that bonus episode. It's there in your feed. Check it out. It's a very special bonus episode. And it's featuring Tatiana Sirosano and Chris Thakra from Midia. Um, Tatiana and Chris, they break down Midia's two recent uh, reports, the Midia Research 2023 to 2030 global music forecasts that we were talking about, as well as the state and future of music fandom. Oh, yeah. And I am so, you know, we I talk about this a lot, at least. And this this is just all of these, this sort of data, the world of data, for me, is just... 
I just makes my head spin. And so when we have people that resources for us that really break it down and explain things and it's just fascinating yeah. and it's just an area I don't have of expertise and, but, but, and yet I, I love to have the conversation with people because I'm learning yeah. and that's super oh, important. I do too. I learn every single time and, and you hit the nail on the head. It's really about looking at those facts and figures. But when you have people like Tatiana and Chris on, they sort of make some sense of it. It's not just a bunch of facts and figures and numbers. There's a method to the madness of how these numbers come together. And then of course, what do they actually mean? Right? So yes, fantastic uh, conversation. So if you haven't listened to that one, check it out. It's really good. Yeah. Big thanks to Tatiana and Chris. Boy, we certainly appreciate sure it. Do. And, and Jay, a little birdie told me that you were in, uh, in your, your photography studio with our friends from immediate family. Oh that yeah. Yesterday we had an amazing shoot and I got a lot of phone calls about it because a uh, legendary bassist, Leland Sklar, uh, who's the bass player for Immediate Family. He got there a little bit early and he likes to post things on his YouTube channel. And he did a little, uh, you know, walk through the studio and he talked to me and my photography partner, uh, Chris Schmidt. And uh, it was really fun and had thousands of views. And next thing you know, I'm, you know, my uh, texts are blowing up. But uh, for those who don't know, uh, Immediate Family is sort of like the wrecking crew there. These guys have been on all of these amazing albums for decades. And there's a, uh, a documentary uh, that's coming soon. Yeah, very exciting. So the immediate family documentary tracks the rise and collaborations of a group of legendary studio studio musicians through the 1970s and onward, chronicling their illustrious partnership and their formidable uh, record of hit making. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's directed uh, by Denny Tedesco, whose documentary The Wrecking Crew followed the first wave of studio musicians in the 60s. The film reveals the machinery behind the booming era of the singer-songwriter when the talents of these four musicians were in furious demand. Oh, yeah. Uh, the foundations of their enduring friendship formed on the road and in studios is recalled with, dyna- with dynamite clarity, reminisced with fondness through intimate interviews with the guys themselves, as well as the memories of some of Rock's most iconic voices, including commentary from superstars like Carol King, James Taylor, Linda Ronstadt, Keith Richards, Don Henley, David Crosby, Jackson Brown, Lyle Lovett, Phil Collins, and more. Immediate Family is a backstage tour spanning multiple eras of musical history. It's going to be, well, we've seen it. It's awesome. It's really great. It really is the Wrecking Crew part two almost. It's already won awards at uh, film festivals. Um, When that is released wide, don't miss the immediate family film. It is absolutely fantastic. And, you know, and I've got a chance to interview them and I know you've spent time with them and they are like, it's like, they're school kids. When you're talking to them, they're just ribbing each other and laughing. It's just that they have such an enduring friendship that it's uh, yeah. it's a great movie. And they've if played with ready, check it so out. many artists, toured with, recorded albums with. And just so you know, the, the guys in the band, it's Danny Korchmar, Cooch on guitar. It's Wadi Wachtel on guitar. Steve Postel. It's Leland Sklar, we mentioned on bass. And Russ Kunkel on drums. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the backs of everything from Carol King tapestry and, you know, um, Phil Collins and, uh, Jackson Brown, uh, Linda Ronstadt, James Taylor, all the way. I mean, there's, they've been on everything and, uh, it was such an honor to uh, shoot their new album this week. 
Oh, what a treat that must have been. Yeah. And, you know, one of the interesting things, and which is mentioned in the documentary, as I recall, you know, if you saw um, the Wrecking Crew, you knew that none of those guys were credited and gals were credited on albums. And so they really were this mystery group of people. But by the time the 70s hit, suddenly they're actually putting credits of who's playing on the records. And so you and I, when we were getting those records, we were looking at the jackets and going... Who's huh. Danny Korchmar? Yeah. Wasn't he on that other album I bought last That's week? That's right. And then one that was like from last month. And so suddenly they are recognizable right. because... They became they celebrities were, in their known. own right. Sure. Yeah, for sure. So very, very cool. And uh, yeah, and a big, th- a big week this week, it's Hispanic uh, Heritage Month mm-hmm. beginning on 915, as well as Mex- Mexican Independence Day on 916. So yeah. really cool. And you had a chance to talk to a new good friend of ours. Yeah, we're big fans of Bruno Del Granado. You've heard us mention Bruno on the podcast. Um He's the head of Latin music for CAA. Um, He used to manage Ricky Martin, I think, for a decade. But he's really kind of our go-to guy when we want to understand what's going on in the world of Latin music. And I had a chance to sit down with Bruno this week to talk about some new artists that are coming, but also just the state of the union for Latin music. And we always learn things from Bruno. It's always a thrill to talk to him. Let's listen in on that conversation. Bruno, always great to see you, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well, Jay. How are you? Doing very well. I, I'm pretty excited because I love touching base with you on really the the state of the union when it comes to Latin music. But you had mentioned to me that Hispanic Heritage Month, which starts on 915, is coinciding with Mexican Independence Day, which is 916. Talk about that for a second. Well, the reason why... Uh Hispanic Heritage Month starts on on September 15th is because the United States many years ago realized around that time, several Central American countries, including Mexico, which is more North America, uh, got their independence from Spain. So they said, why don't we just piggyback all those independence days into one? We'll create an entire Hispanic Heritage Month and we'll start like the day before Mexico. And then after that, it's, uh, you know, Guatemala, Salvador, Nicaragua. So that's basically in a nutshell why Hispanic Heritage Month starts September 15th and ends uh, a month later, which coincides with the quote unquote, I don't want to say discovery because he didn't discover anything, but Columbus's arrival to the Americas and Columbus set sail from Spain. He was not Spanish, he was Italian, but he set sail from Spain (laughs) and landed in the Caribbean on October 12th. So he did not discover anything. It was already here. (laughs) Right, right. You got to fix those school books. So it's always fun to talk to you and bring us up to speed on sort of the state of Latin music in 2023, because every time we talk to you, there are more breakout artists. Latin music is not a niche genre by any stretch, and it is a powerhouse, and people are realizing that. And there are just these mega stars that are coming out and crossing borders. Tell us a little bit about uh, Latin music in 2023. Well, summer just wrapped up a couple of days ago, uh, Jay. And I want to let you know that Spotify's most streamed songs of the summer, which is now the list everybody mm-hmm. watches and pays attention to, yeah. for the U.S. list. Uh, the number two most streamed song was Elia Baila Sola. We've talked about that before. Yeah. So number two in the U.S. 
Um, in the and, U.S. And, and the, <laughs> no, check this out. Within the top 20 of the most streamed songs this summer in the U.S., there are five Spanish language or Latin yeah. songs. Yeah, now, that's now, amazing. It, it gets better globally. So in on Spotify's most streamed songs of the summer global list, which includes the entire world, including the U.S., there are eight Latin songs, including the top two, Ella Baila Sola and Bad Bunny number two. So almost half of Spotify's most streamed songs global list of the songs of the summer are Spanish or Latin or by Latin artists. In the U.S., five out of the top 20 are Latin. So that's one one fourth, really. Huge. And it, it really is, you know, you and I spoke a couple months ago about how 2022 was such a groundbreaking year because of Bad Bunny mm -hmm. and, you know, everything that he generated, you know, all the wake that he caused with, with everything that was sure. going on with him. And we thought, okay, we, maybe we've peaked. Uh -uh. Six months into, into 2023, we realized it was going to be a much bigger uh year for latin music in 2023 as of uh as of july of this year the top you know the top five most streamed songs on spotify two were by latin artists and if you look at you know peso pluma and eslabon and uh, uh carol g it's just you know just the stats just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and i think that speaks uh, a lot about that report that uh luminate mm -hmm. released a couple of weeks yes. ago where 40% of U.S. music listeners enjoy music in a non-English language. That's when people say, why are, you know, why is Latin music so popular? Number one, the demographics are 62 million of us. And number two, non-Latin folks are enjoying music. That's right. Artists. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. and that's massive. Let me put you on the spot because you've been so good at this in the past. What's sort of next? What are some of these artists that maybe are in that next wave? Because what I've noticed is, yeah, you had the Bad Bunny, who's this massive, breaking all these touring records and all of that. But, you know, that is not uh, going to make a genre. You need developing artists. And you've been pretty good about pointing out what are some of those newer developing artists we should keep our ears and eyes on? Well, I, I really think when we talk about Latin music, Mexico is probably ground zero now, has been for a while, and will it will continue to be for many reasons. Number two, the demographics are just there. It's a country of 120 million people, very young. They're aggressively and actively uh, music fans over there. Spotify's biggest market per capita in the world is Mexico City, bigger than the U.S. Wow. So I think we're going to be seeing a lot more music come out of Mexico. Obviously, right now, it's no longer called regional Mexicans, just called right. Mexican music. So we're seeing all these different sub-genres come out of Mexico. And for the next, I'd say, five, ten years, I think Mexico is going to be the driving force of Latin music, not only in the U.S., but globally as well. And we're starting to see it. But once again, it's also the proximity to the U.S. It's you can literally walk from Southern California to Mexico or Texas or Arizona or New Mexico. It's it's like one of those countries where it really is a country. But, you know, it's it's just yeah. and it's a way we're neighbors, really. neighbors. Exactly. So I, I, I think, like I said, uh, music out of Mexico, we're seeing also a return to the traditional singer songwriter of maybe 10, 15 years ago, folks want melodies again. They want beautiful lyrics. So we're seeing that new generation of Mexican artists come up with some beautiful, melodic, singer-songwriter-driven music. 
we'll be seeing a lot more of that in the next, I'd say, year or so. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why this music resonates so well with, you know, English-speaking people is it's about the beat and the melody and the song at its core. It's not really about the language. That's secondary. But one of the things I found traveling overseas, and by mean overseas to like India and, and Turkey and, and mm -hmm. Southeast Asia, was that all these people were into Latin music. They didn't understand a single word. <laughs> they were into it because of what you just said. The right. melody, the beats, the feeling that you get when you listen to it. So language doesn't necessarily no. factor in at all. No, and I don't understand half of the English language songs that I hear. So there you go. Bruno, always a pleasure, my friend. Let's do this again. Jay, always, always look talk to you. Thank you, sir. You got it. I really hope I can meet him in person. Yeah. <laughs> he's one of those guys I want to just sit down and yap at for a while. Yeah. He, uh, he's just a music fanatic. Uh, like we are, and he knows that world uh, as well as anyone, and we're just thrilled to call him a friend. So thank you, Bruno. We appreciate that. Thanks. Um, this last week, um, I listened to the third episode of this new podcast called Strike Force 5, and it's it's a really cool uh, podcast with late-night hosts, you know, Stephen Colbert, mm -hmm. uh, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Seth Meyers, and John Oliver, and uh, it's for a really good cause. Absolutely. All proceeds received by the hosts from Strike Force 5 will go to out-of-work staff from the host's respective shows, including The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Late Night with Seth Meyers, and Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Very yeah. cool. I thought that was really cool. They had some time off, and they got some sponsors, and I think there are three episodes in now, and the proceeds are, are going to their staffs. And I thought that was a, a really cool thing, you know, because of the writer strike. Um, and then before we jump into our stories, um, just uh, a reminder that the fifth annual Music Tectonics uh, Conference is October 24th through 26th in Santa Monica. And we talked to Dimitri Vitsa last week on the podcast. And he reminded us that there's an online pre-conference this week, September 13th, with a keynote from Mark Mulligan. And yeah. uh, coincidentally, our first story is written by Mark Mulligan. Yes, indeed. But before we get there, we got to thank our sponsors, Jay, because, boy, we are so lucky to have the folks that help us bring the party every week. Yes, we sure are. The Your Morning Coffee podcast is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle, built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform, makes it super easy to build a website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in. Hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days. Just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, and that will get you 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. 
And the Your Morning Coffee podcast is also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. Yes, sir. Bands in Town. Over 80 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts recommendations and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist services platform connecting over 590,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote tour dates across all platforms. And we are also sponsored by the Music Business Association. The Music Business Association creates the rooms in which the important conversations that shape our industry's future take place. Our membership represents every major segment of the global music business, including labels and distributors, music streaming, retail and wholesale, publishers and PROs, rights management and metadata, artist managers, tech and startups. Make sure you jump over to musicbiz.org for more information, big thanks to Banzugo, Hypebot, Bands in Town, and the Music Business Association. Yes, Boy, sir. We appreciate it, and sure I do. appreciate the former male model that I get to do this with every week, <laughs> Jay Gilbert. He is yeah. a music industry consultant. He's a curator of the weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, and Warner Music Group. Yes, sir. And uh, this gentleman sitting across from me that you can't see, but you certainly can hear, is longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, uh, Michael Etchart, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music Group, where I met him a long, long time ago. And we hit it off immediately uh, talking about music and uh, sharing uh, cheeseburgers. <laughs> Which we still do periodically. And, and don't Iowa's. get me wrong, we don't share, like he, he would never share his cheeseburger with me. I'm just saying we have no. cheeseburgers in no. the same restaurant at the same table. But we have dramatically different needs for our cheeseburger. Yes. Let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. You, you are very specific. I am very specific as well, yeah. but they never the twain shall, call, no, no, shall no. meet. No, it's all good. Yeah, exactly. It's all good. It is all good. All right. Let's jump into our stories, Jay, because we got a couple of good ones. Oh, the first we sure one do. is from Mark Mulligan via Music Industry Blog, How to Make Artist-Centric artist-centric. And uh, it's very interesting. And, you know, we've been talking for a long time about this uh, mysterious... Uh, new kind of proposals and research that Universal Music Group is doing with Deezer. And now it looks like some of the things are kind of starting to come out. So the article starts with saying Deezer and UMG announced a major, in both senses of the word, shakeup of streaming music royalties. This is arguably the biggest streaming market development in years, as it will set the tone for market-wide change. There is no doubt that streaming royalties require a revamp. The system built for the music business 20 years ago is always going to struggle to be be fit for purpose in today's business. Mm -hmm. There's some really positive elements to this proposal, but it can even be better. Indeed, there is a risk that as it stands, it will break as much as it fixes. Ah, it could. But the problem with today's streaming market, you know, all those problems are really well known. But for the record... Here are a few of the key ones that Mark points out. Number one, music listening is becoming commodified. Number two, the volume and velocity of music released 
is excessive. We talk about that a lot. Number three, yeah. cynical entities are able to game the royalty system. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as well. Number four, most artists do not earn enough. Number five, artists are willing, or I'm sorry, artists are building audiences rather than fan bases. Building audiences rather than fan bases. And number mm -hmm. six, artists struggle to cut through the clutter. Yes. The full list, of course, is far longer, but the selection shows how pervasive and structural the challenges are. Royalties are an important part of the fix, but nonetheless, just one part. The UMG Deezer Initiative addresses the top three in the list, but not the bottom three. And crucially, this is very crucial, it rewards success at the expense of emerging artists. Mm. Well, let's, before we continue with this, let's just give a quick little review of user-centric, what they're talking about. And I know we talk about this mm -hmm. a lot, but it's, it's subtle. There are differences here, and there's some that claim that the payouts will be dramatically different. Some claim they won't be, and some of these tests that we're reading about will sort of flush that out. But, uh, you know... The market, the way it stands today, is pro rata. And basically, you're paid on your market share, not necessarily on your stream. So if I listen to one artist all month and nothing else, they don't get my $9.99. And so with user-centric, that really is closer to what I just described, where if you listen to one artist all month, they get your, your revenue, your money. So um, I just want to point that out. Yes, thank you. So the, the article goes on, um, among a raft of elements, the UMG Deezer Initiative does a couple of things. It says, one, halves the royalty weight of artists with less than 1,000 monthly streams and 500 unique monthly listeners, while doubling that of the rest... And also, it further double boosts music that has been actively searched for by a user. Well, let's, let's um, clarify that. I understood what you said because I read it. When you said halves the royalty weight, it sounds you know, like you're saying have, but what you're saying is it cuts it in half. Yes, correct. So that's for artists with less than 1,000 monthly streams and 500 unique monthly listeners. Yeah, and okay. doubling well, the doubling rest. that of the rest. Yeah, that's super yeah. interesting. So that second part, you know, is it's very welcome and long overdue. Streaming has thrown together two old business models, retail and radio, and thrown them into one pot. Pretending lean back and lean forward consumption is the same. They are not. This move will go a long way to disincentivizing the commodification of consumption by rewarding active listening. If you get your listeners to pay attention, to look for you, then you are rewarded with higher royalties. So top marks for this move. And again, that move is further double boosts the music that has been actively searched for by a user. Okay, that's very welcome. The first item though, remember, again, I'll, I'll mm -hmm. read that one more time. Sure. Halves the royalty weight of artists with less than a thousand monthly streams and 500 unique monthly listeners while doubling that of the rest. So this item though, is an entirely different issue and far less welcome. Why? Because it does a reverse Robin Hood. <laughs> it is a redistribution of wealth in reverse, taking income from struggling emerging artists and sharing it among those who have already found success. Interesting, you know, between 2000 and 2022, Artist Direct, meaning artists without record labels, 
that uh, area grew streaming revenue by 60%, while the majors grew streaming revenue by just 35%. And you and I pointed out from a report a couple of weeks ago that only 4% or so of the music uploaded every week is from the majors. So as of 2022, Artists Direct, right, those without a record label, they represented 8% of global streaming revenue. This fastest growing part of the streaming market accounts for the majority of the long tail of artists with less than a thousand streams. Crucially though, the number of artists in this group grows at the same rate as their revenue. So most are unlikely to ever break the 1000 stream threshold. Right, which means that the fastest growing and most dynamic part of the music business could become a permanent funding mechanism for the biggest labels and stars. The way funding programs usually work in the wider world is that the better advantaged fund the less well advantaged, mm -hmm. not the other way around. Yeah. The idea of a teenage aspiring bedroom producer have, having half their royalties taken to pay the likes of Taylor Swift feels like an odd reward for effort and creativity. It does, it's that reverse Robin Hood that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. So that thousand stream threshold is not actually a bad idea in itself. In fact, it could actually be used in a dramatically different way that would truly help uh, rebalance the streaming economy. Artists with less than a thousand streams represent roughly 80% of all artists. So most generate less than $100 a year of streaming royalties. Wow. So taking away the income from these emerging and long tail artists may be morally questionable, right? but it's not going to exactly affect their ability to pay the rent. Right. So roughly speaking, the total income from these artists accounts for about 1% of all streaming royalties, which means that the impact on big artists yeah. is really going to be pretty small. Yeah. Right, right. And they, they have a little side note here um, that's worth pointing out um, where Mark says that it's, it's difficult to see how less than a thousand stream artists will get a, uh, that quote unquote double weight without more money being put in the royalty pot or being taken from somewhere else. And I thought that was a really great point. The 500 monthly listeners, um, well, that might actually ensure the pool of less than a thousand streams cohort is actually much bigger. Many smaller artists have very engaged fan bases who may listen to their releases many times over. I mean, you and I do that all the time. In, in this model, 300 fans listening to a new artist song five times per month, thus generating 1,500 streams, would still not get paid the double weight. But an artist who gets a song in random playlists that has 1,000 people you know, that listen once each would get the double weight. Hopefully, this is an you know, unintended flaw rather than a design. Yeah. Well, back to uh, the reconfiguring the model. If we take 100% rather than half of the royalties of less than 1,000 stream artists and apply it to only the next tier up of artists, those who are in between $100 and $1,000, then the impact is truly significant, representing an increase of almost a third to these artists rather than the 1% across all greater than 1,000 stream mm -hmm. artists. These are artists who are making the step up, beginning to get real traction and need all the support they can get to kick up to the next level. The extra income would make a big difference to them. Supporting the next generation of artists is something that can truly be called artist-centric. Ah, artist-centric. Record labels are in the business of finding, nurturing, and investing in new talent, right? 
It is the single most important role of the music business. A streaming royalty mechanism that takes from 80% of the artists to redistribute to 20% doesn't feel very quote-unquote artist-centric, but shift the equation slightly and push all the royalties of the you know less than uh, 1,000 streams cohort to the next tier up, and then you truly have artist-centric as a solution, one that invests in tomorrow stars who in the music business wouldn't uh, what to invest in tomorrow's artists. So I think this is a really interesting take on user-centric and how if you just push it up to that next tier and not necessarily to the superstar artists, you could Mm -hmm. really affect some change. And look, if it's less than a thousand streams a month, there's so little revenue being generated anyway. Right. Well, it's very interesting. And listen, the conversation is now being had and you know, I, I, they have thrown down with a proposal with, or with, with sort of terms that they are proposing. Uh, and so now it's time to kind of, you know, pick them apart and do a little bit of negotiation, but I'm super pleased we're even having the discussion yeah, me right? too. because it's time. Yeah. Super Absolutely cool. time. Yeah. All right. On to the next one, Jay from music business worldwide. This one kind of blew me away. Me too. There were a lot of Multi- articles started to cut you off. There's a lot of articles yeah, this week about this. I thought this was uh, one of the best ones um, that I had you know, read, and it's uh, by Murray Stassen over at Music Business Worldwide. And boy, we talk about Murray a lot. Uh, multiple criminal gang members confirm they've used Spotify for money laundering in a bombshell new report. So that, boy, you talk about a bombshell report. Yeah, money laundering. How is that possible and how are they doing it? Yeah, this is uh, super yeah. interesting. And it was really kind of, uh, it was a new report and it came from this um, this newspaper, Senska Dagbladet, and mm-hmm. uh, over in Sweden. And uh, according to the newspaper, crime networks with links to drugs and deadly violence have for years been using Spotify for, for this purpose. Um, they, they reported that um, they can support claims by citing protected sources, including four actual criminal gang members based in Sweden and an, an anonymous police agent. The so the article thickens. states that, yeah, the article states that the police unit to which the anonymous police investigator belongs believes that Spotify has become a criminal tool and that they suspected that the gangs launder money from drug dealing, robberies, fraud, and assassination missions via the platform, which can amount to many millions each year. And they allegedly do so by converting proceeds from criminal activities into Bitcoin via cash-in-hand deals with crypto traders, crypto traders they meet on Facebook. They then use that crypto to acquire fake streams for artists with links to gangs and collect the money paid out for those streams. Wow, it seems wow. a bit complex <laughs> for this money <laughs> laundering. They, they say that Spotify has become an ATM for these people. That, that was a, an anonymous police officer who was quoted saying that there's a direct connection to the gangs and therefore also the deadly violence. They also claim that the practice is particularly prevalent, it's easy for you to say, in what they call the gangster rap scene in Sweden. I mean, you don't think of Sweden as that hotbed of gangster rap, but they say that these rappers uh, allegedly have links to crime. This is crazy. 
Yeah. Uh, so this source is, I don't want to sell people out. This is a very, this is very sensitive. It's about more than buying streams. If you're a network and you want to attract kids and you have a rapper who's going big, that's half the job for you. It's very good for recruiting purposes. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, fascinating. And, but you know, we shouldn't be surprised where there's money. Oftentimes crime can follow. And yeah. And there's, there's estimates that, you know, there's a certain percentage of music streams are false. Uh, nobody really mm-hmm. knows, I guess, for sure, at least not at this point. But the article points to a French study uh, that showed that 3% of music streams on services like Spotify are known to be fraudulent. Some people claim that that's much higher, by the way. As previously noted by Music Business Worldwide, this number only represents, quote unquote, fake streams that services can actually detect. It doesn't include the ones they don't find. The same report indicated that hip-hop rap music represented 84.5% of all fraudulent streams detected on Spotify's uh, top 10,000 tracks during 2021. That's crazy. That is crazy. However, as Music Business Worldwide noted, in January, to a degree, this is to be expected because hip-hop is the dominant genre in the French market, accounting for more than 50% of the top 10,000 tracks on Spotify and 40% on Deezer, according to the report. Uh, The CNM explains further, however, that that compared to the total number of streams generated by hip-hop and rap in 2021, fraudulent streams represented a small share of the genre's total listeners, with a 0.4% 0.4% share on Spotify and a 0.7% on Deezer. Ah, well, this newspaper, Senska Doglebet, uh, says that it reached out to Spotify for comment and that the platform, you know, via its uh, communications manager said that, quote, we have no evidence that money laundering occurred via Spotify, end quote. The newspaper also added that the platform did not want to participate in an interview with them, but did, however, issue a statement to the newspaper attributed to a spokesperson. And that Spotify statement claims, while there's more work to do, it's automated processes and manual monitoring of uh, the market leading. And furthermore, that less than 1% of all streams on Spotify have been determined to be tampered with. So said Spotify, manipulated streams are a challenge for the entire industry and a problem that Spotify is working hard to combat. It is important to know that Spotify does not make any payments directly to artists, but to rights holders and distributors. Uh, it is equally important not to, to not to misunderstand the extent of the problem with manipulated streams. Thanks in part to the fact that our payouts are not real time, our systems detect and address anomalies before they reach material levels. We have also improved the identification of artificial streams and developed faster measures to take as soon as we become aware of them. For example, we can withhold payments, adjust streaming statistics down, and completely suspend users from the platform. There is always more work to do, but our automated processes and manual monitoring are market-leading. Less than 1% of all streams on Spotify have been determined to be tampered with. In order not to make it easier for someone trying to manipulate the system, we do not share details about specific methods. We are one of the few streaming services that publish information about our measures to 
combat manipulation of streams in industry studies. We are members of the Music Fights Fraud Alliance, where several players in the industry work together to combat fraud on various platforms. And we provide artists with educational materials that show the damage that manipulation of streams brings. Yeah, it's been a big problem. And the majors are talking about it. You know, identifying streaming fraud, tackling it. They've been uh, big priorities for the music businesses last year. In, in January, Universal Music Group boss, uh, Sir Lucian Grange, he said that bad actors, he called them out for using illegitimate means to suck royalty revenue from the music streaming service, uh, services. He argued that these platforms' dominant pro rata payout model needed to change. And we just talked a little bit about that. Four months later in May, after tracks created on AI music app Boomi were deleted uh, from Spotify, suspecting streaming fraud, Music Business Worldwide argued that the debacle proved that pro rata really must go and urgency. Also in May, Sony Music Group chairman Rob uh, Stringer added his name to the growing number of music industry leaders you know, that are raising serious concerns about streaming fraud. Right. And uh, fraud, as he said, as Stringer said uh, back in the day, fraud on key DSPs is a problem that must be eliminated through aggressive enforcement by these DSPs and distributors or by changing payment methods, i.e. royalty payout models to better reduce the incentive for fraud. So lots and lots of chatter about this, but the whole thing with organized crime was, boy, that that knocked me back. That's fascinating. And uh, it would not surprise me, though. Yeah. Really, it would not. Yes. And um, uh, we'll just have to keep tabs on that. Yeah. But this is, you know, again, under the giant umbrella of streaming fraud, which has been and will be an issue for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think there's two solutions to this, and, and they touch on this in this piece and, and many others that we've uh, reported on. One is just changing from uh, pro rata to user-centric. That's one. And then number two... I think that when you eliminate those stream counts, uh, those front-facing stream counts, mm-hmm. you disincentivize uh, some of this activity, not all of it. And I know people, you know, it's that ego thing. They like to see how many, you know, streams on Spotify or YouTube, you know, they'll look at those numbers and, and you know, tout them. But it's, it's certainly not helpful when people are judged by their social footprint or how many streams that they have. It just incentivizes people to do anything, uh, any means necessary to jack those numbers up. So again, our kudos to uh, Murray Stassen. We, we love his work over at Music Business yeah. Worldwide. Wow. Pretty amazing, amazing story. Uh, our last story, Jay, from Music Ally, a guest post by Ben Patterson, who's the president, artist and label services of Downtown Music. Uh, independent artists deserve an equitable music ecosystem. And as you mentioned before we started hitting record, you know Ben. Oh yeah, I've, I've known Ben for a long time. Great guy. Um, he ran Dash Go, if you remember Dash Go. Mm-hmm, Probably still does. Um, but I first met Ben uh, when I was at Universal and we were working an amazing album by Tears for Fears called Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. And that's when I first uh, got to work with Ben. But uh, a lot of respect for uh, Mr. Patterson. So as you said, this is a guest post that Ben wrote. And uh, yeah, he's the president of Artists and Label Services at Downtown Music. And, uh, you know, he kicks it off by saying that artists are the backbone of the music industry. And, And this industry, in terms of total artists, total songs released, and total listening consumption, has never been bigger or more fractionalized than it is today. 
Independent artists face countless hurdles to success and to get their voices heard literally through their music and figuratively behind the scenes. He goes on to say, though, it's not an easy feat. Not only do today's independent artists have to write and record music, but they also have to navigate the complexities of the latest technology and understand how to connect with fans across a cacophony of social media and short form video offerings competing for everyone's time and attention. Absolutely. Well said. 100%. You know, he goes on to say that advancing technology means independent artists have more opportunities to create, connect, and release music. Still, they also face the intricacies of the heavily fragmented music streaming landscape, including ongoing market volatility that recently resulted in Spotify raising its prices and prominent label executives attempting to devalue their work via proposed two-tier royalty systems. Despite this, artists have more leverage than ever, and majors are increasingly adopting the licensing and distribution models that allow artists to retain ownership of their copyrights. That's a good thing. But, mm-hmm. but they can only reach the full potential in, a, in an equitable music ecosystem with the partners designing services and technology to serve those needs. So let's explore what that looks like. Sure. So the evolving role of the independent artist, the artists of today and the artists of 30 years ago do not resemble each other, no matter how much 90s fashion is seeping back into culture. Right before the internet boom, artists still relied heavily on large labels for any kind of success, those of which carefully gatekept access to music for fans. Then came the digital revolution and later the music streaming economy, which changed everything. Oh, it sure did, right? I mean, due to the internet, streaming services, social media, there are more avenues through which artists can release their music and connect with fans on a global scale. And we talk about this all the time. A song recorded last night can reach millions by morning. Consumers have more accessibility to their favorite artists and they play their songs on repeat, you know, which has led to a 13.8% increase in U.S. music consumption in the first 20 weeks of 2023 alone. And listeners show no signs of slowing down. The global music industry just surpassed 1 trillion streams at the fastest pace ever in a calendar year. And you and I were just talking about that. Wow. Uh, The current landscape benefits the ongoing independent music sector boom, with indie labels accounting for 21% of the music market share. But with consumption at an all-time high and more platforms to choose from, the music landscape is becoming oversaturated and increasingly fragmented. When emerging artists compete with industry powerhouses like Taylor Swift and Beyonce on the same platforms, They also compete with podcasts and white noise playlists, video games, video streamers, and short-form video. Only 24 hours are available for consumer listening, no matter how many songs are released that day. The vast amount of musical content has created a massive middle class of artists able to release music and connect with fans. The music industry should provide the tools to ensure artists can reap the benefits of this access and continue to build their audience and careers. Amen. Uh, well written. You know, the technology, he goes on to say that the technology that empowers so many independent artists, it must be used responsibly. Elsewhere in the entertainment industry, WGA and SAG-AFTRA, you know, they're on strike, citing AI as a key factor in their negotiations. The music industry is also feeling the effects of this uncertainty. 
Uh, there's a major concern for independent artists who may face unfair and uncertain competition without proper regulations, you know, governing AI's role in the industry. We talk about that a lot. While AI promises to unlock and enhance the creative potential of thousands of future superstars, without clear guidance on copyright ownership and streaming measurement, uh, th those artists may be overshadowed by bad actors seeking to exploit streaming platforms. And we just talked about that in the previous piece. Absolutely. AI-generated songs by anonymous creators are now highly visible in the music industry. With a viral track featuring the AI-generated voices of Drake and The Weeknd as, as an example of just the beginning of what this rapidly evolving technology is creating. While AI can also enhance creativity, simplify marketing and advertising, and combat streaming fraud, bad actors are using the same technology to advance fraudulent activity, which is estimated to cost around $2 billion in misallocated streaming revenue each year. The reality is that every fraudulent stream of a bot listening to a track created by a bot takes away revenue from a legitimate stream. Incidents of music streaming fraud are increasing daily. These are hits that human independent artists don't deserve to take. Oh, so well written. Um, the last part of this, he talks about where we go from here. Um, the music industry that lifted the likes of Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston to superstardom 30 years ago is no longer comparable to the music ecosystem that exists for artists today. In the oversaturated streaming environment, it's increasingly difficult for artists to achieve mainstream impact today, and the entire music community is threatened by losing out to growing streaming fraud. Creators in the streaming era are faced with unprecedented challenges, requiring us to find new solutions. Yeah, absolutely. We can champion today's artists by understanding their unique challenges and embracing a proactive approach to combat pervasive issues such as streaming fraud while embracing the creative and marketing enhancements offered by technology. By working together across the industry, we can protect artists from fraudsters and invest in technology that prevents bad actors from passing through the DSP's ecosystems. And we can align behind artists maintaining ownership ownership and equity in the music they create. Yeah. Uh, brilliantly written, uh, Ben. Uh, thank you so much for that. That was on Music Ally. And, uh, you know, it's a nice companion to some of the other stories we reported on this week. But uh, kudos to Ben. That was uh, yeah, well played, thanks, sir. Yeah, thanks, Ben. That was well played and well written. Uh, and with that, Jay, we do need to wrap up this episode. I know Jay and I certainly appreciate everyone listening in, and that does not go unnoticed to you, uh, to us, I should say, <laughs> because uh, Jay and I talk about it all the time. So big thanks to our, so, our to our sponsors, Banzugo, Hypebot, Bands in Town, and the Music Business Association. Boy, that really helps us every week, and we appreciate that as well. We sure do. So on behalf of Jay Gilbert, the happy man behind the microphone, I want to say thanks. And we'll see you next time on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.